This is uh, Dr. Pedro Ramirez, Editor-in-Chief of the International Journal of Gynecological Cancer. And today I have the great pleasure of having Dr. Vandre Cabral Gomez Carneiro, who is at the Hospital de Cancer de Pernambuco Recife in Brazil. And also he is at the Instituto de Medicina Integral, Professor Fernando Figueira in Recife, Brazil. And uh, we also have the pleasure of having uh, Glauco Baiocchi from AC Camargo uh, once again on the, on the podcast. Uh, the title of this uh, discussion is uh, based on uh, one of the manuscripts that has been recently published in the journal uh, called Proof of Concept Randomized Phase II Non-Inferiority Trial of Simple versus Type 2 um, B2 hysterectomy in early stage cervical cancer less than two centimeters. So uh, welcome to uh, both of you to the podcast and thank you once again for accepting our invitation. Hi, Pedro. First, uh, first uh, thank you so much for the, I'm very happy and honored for the invitation and uh, very happy to be with you here in the such amazing podcast. Hi, Pedro, Glauco, and everyone who are listening to this podcast. First of all, I'd like to say that it's a great pleasure to be here with you. Thank you, Pedro, for the invitation. Thank you all my friends who made contributions for the last trial. Special thanks to Thales Paulo Batista and Glauco Bayoc is here with us, it would be impossible to start and finish this project without all of you. And I would like to remind you that English is not my native language, <laughs> but I will do my best to make myself <laughs> as clear as possible. Excellent. Well, thank you, Vandre. And uh, yes, uh, thank you to all of your uh, collaborators as well. Um, you know, as I mentioned, obviously, there's a lot of uh, uh, questions and we want to engage in, in that discussions for, for this podcast regarding the lesser trial. So I want to start with you, Vandre, and I want to, um, let's see if we can start by discussing, you know, the topic of conservative management of early stage, low risk cervical cancer. We have the results of the conserve uh, trial and soon to be presented the results of the shape trial, along with the awaited results of GOG 278. Um, why did you consider it was important to publish this study, the lesser uh, trial? Well, our trial was designed when the SHAPE trial was experiencing a low recruitment rate, and it was enrolling patients only in high-income countries. An exception to this was only the posterior inclusion of many centers in China, an upper-middle-income country. Since most of cervical cancers in the world occurs in low and lower middle income countries, we decided to conduce our own trial, including patients for the, from the public health system of our country, Brazil. Despite the importance of these landmark trials, like said, the SHAPE, CONCEPT, and the GOG 278, we could anticipate a positive result from the SHAPE trial. Evidence are always welcome, and our trial is completed with major results. It can help to improve the discussion of this matter, since most of our patients underwent open surgery in line with evidence of the LAC trial, in contrast of this other trial, that mainly applied the minimally invasive surgery approach. Excellent. So um, obviously, yes, very interested in, in that patient population in the lower and uh, uh, middle income countries. So I'll turn to uh, Glauco. And um, Glauco, who was eligible for the lesser trial? Because obviously, there's always a discussion as to who is a, a low risk patient in early stage cervical cancer. Uh, Pedro, uh, the patients eligible to the study 
uh, were those with, with uh, histological confirmed adenocarcinoma, squamous cells carcinoma, and uh, adenosquamous uh, after cervical biopsy or colonization. Uh, the, the patients should have uh, between eight, eight, uh, 18 uh, years old in, or, uh, to 70 years old, perform status of uh, zero, one, or two. And uh, FIGO 2009, early stage from 1A2 to 1B and uh, 1B1, uh, and tumors of up to two centimeters in size uh, that were suitable to surgical treatment, and uh, all patients should sign the, the format consent. Uh, women with other malignancies they diagnosed within uh, the last five years, previous pelvic radiation and major, major pelvic surgery were excluded, and uh, any evidence of uterine disease were also an exclusion criteria. Great. And, and along those uh, inclusion criteria, I'll turn to Boundary to ask, uh, you know, certainly you included uh, patients with uh, lymphovascular invasion in uh, grade uh, three, uh, and death of invasion was not an exclusion criteria. Um, obviously, we know this is different from the conserved low-risk group. So the next question is, um, do you not think that these are higher-risk uh, tumors for recurrence? In other words, um, is it okay to include uh, grade threes uh, in those with uh, positive LVSI? Yeah, excellent question, Pedro. I'm not sure, but I think there isn't a clear universal definition of a low-risk early-stage cervical cancer. It's interesting to point out that the cancer trial including squamous cell carcinoma of any grade, and the SHAPE trial, patients are eligible irrespective of the presence or absence of lymphovascular space involvement, and regardless the tumor's grade as well. Another interesting information is that in our clinical practice, just is in our trial, most of the patients did not have this tumor's information before the surgery, because most of them did not have a congestion and did not have MRI staging as well. So we choose not to include lymph vascular space involvement, grade three tumors, or deep stomach invasion as exclusion criteria. But I do think these are high risk tumors for recurrence. It does not mean that parametric resection will change oncological outcomes on this setting. Yeah. So, yeah, and I do want to get into uh, some of those uh, points that you brought up, um, but I'll I'll turn over actually to Glauco now. And um, this question, some of our questions will come from our fellows in the International Journal. Uh, this one from uh, Jvansa Kosciavelli in Georgia. Um, she, she asked, could you please elaborate on the rationale behind the decision to employ systematic pelvic lymph node dissection in both study arms as opposed to sentinel lymph node mapping? And the utilization of the type B2 rather than C1 hysterectomy. Well, Pedro, now we have the tough questions from the, the fellows. Starting. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, thanks for the opportunity of clarifying this topic. Uh, with, with regard to Sentinel node biopsy, it was not yet performed by the critic centers at the time of the study. So the, the study protocol included systematic lymphadenectomy for node staging. And uh, the utilization of uh, curly moral uh, type B2 hysterectomy, the modified uh, radical hysterectomy, was based on two prospective randomized studies led by Landoni. Uh, one was published in GY Oncology in 2001 and randomized women with cervical cancer between having class 2 or class 3 radical hysterectomy in the, the old classification. And uh, the other study was published in 2012 in, International, in uh, European Journal of Surgical Oncology 
and uh, randomized patients to undergo class one versus class two radicosterectomies. Both uh, studies did not find survival differences between groups. However, the later study was closed prematurely due, uh, due to an institutional decision to prioritize other studies. Um, additionally, one participant center had published their experience in type B2 in 2011 in Journal of Surgical Oncology. So uh, uh, the, the, the investigators decided to use the modified radicosterectomy B2 uh, in this study. Okay. Um, I want to get to one more question uh, before we get into the results. Uh, this one's from uh, Jen Davis Oliveira in the UK. And uh, Vandre, can you tell us about your post-operative uh, follow-up? And, and she is particularly uh, uh, wants to learn about the fact that imaging examinations were performed every six months for at least three years. Um, why was this the case? The follow-up included post-operative review between two and four weeks after surgery, followed by clinical pelvic and general examination every three months for two years, every six months for the next three years, then once each year. Imaging examination were also performed every six to 12 months or when clinically required for at least three years and once a year thereafter. The NCCN guideline recommend that images should be based on symptomatology and clinical concern for recurrent or metastatic disease. And I agree with you that our follow-up regime was quite extensive. And this is one of the reasons I think we can change our clinical practice learning by participating in clinical trials. The Society of Gynecology Oncology recommendations for post-treatment surveillance is based on the patient's risk for recurrence and personal preference. History and physical examinations recommended every three to six months for two years, six to 12 months for another three to five years, and then once a year. It's closer to our follow-up regime. Uh, I think it's important to point out, Pedro, that despite of evidence based for early detection of recurrent disease by this approach, we do think it's important for patient education and support. It's an opportunity to offer for the patient rehabilitation with the goal to prevent and reduce psychosocial, physical, social, and existential consequences of cancer. Several professions should be available, for example, psychologists, sexual therapists, uh, physical therapists and dietitians, but unfortunately, we are not able to offer this profession for the most of our patients at Brazilian public health system because of the limited results. Excellent. So now let's get to those results. Um, Glauco, can you tell us the highlights of the lesser trial? Yeah. Yeah, in summary, a total of 42 patients were recruited in three cancer centers uh, that uh, were in Northeast Brazil, and 40 of them were, were randomly assigned to a simple or modified uh, radicosterectomy, both in association with the uh, pelvic lymph node section. After a median follow-up of 52 months, the primary endpoint of three-year disease-free survival was 95% after simple hysterectomy and uh, 100% after modified radicosterectomy without statistical difference. Uh, the corresponding five-year overall survival rates were uh, 90% and 91% for simple hysterectomy and modified radicosterectomy arms. Excellent. So 
there's a lot of questions about the, the results and hopefully we'll get through uh, through uh, all of them. Um, so, Bandre, the first one is, um, you know, Giulio Bonaldo from Italy, he's uh, asking about the accuracy of tumor size estimation. Um, you only required pelvic examination. Uh, why was that? Uh, when such is not the standard. Uh, he mentions considering an upstaging of 35% of patients after surgery. Do you think that an MRI uh, should be a, a requirement and why wasn't it a requirement in this study? Yeah, yeah. Uh, following the fecal recommendations at the time of our study, imaging exams were not mandatory for tumor operable patients without parametric involvement by the pelvic exam. But I agree with you, and I think the upstaging is one of the weaknesses of our manuscript. I would remind you that our local available resources are limited, just as it is in most of the low and middle income countries where cervical cancer, unfortunately, is usually a public health problem. It does not, it do not mean that MRI cannot improve the selection of patients for simple hysterectomy. I do think MRI should be used where available and improves tumor size estimation. Yes, excellent. I'm uh, I'm glad uh, that you you highlight that uh, because I think obviously uh, most patients who would be considered for uh, this type of conservative approach, uh, an MRI will be extremely uh, um, uh, useful in uh, in making that decision. Um, the next question, uh, Glauco, is from Ryan Kahn. He's a fellow at Memorial Sloan Kettering. And I think it's kind of following along this very important topic of how do we determine that the patient is truly less than two centimeters? Um, his question is, following surgery, 25% of patients had a tumor size that was actually greater than two centimeters on final pathology. Um, do you believe that this percentage is a, a proper estimate of the inaccuracies on anatomic and pathologic cervical cancer uh, reports across the population? If so, a roughly a quarter of patients may incorrectly be undergoing a simple uh, hysterectomy. Could this impact survival outcomes if implemented in a larger population? Thanks for asking, Ryan. Uh, certainly having one-fourth uh, of cases with tumors of more than two centimeters is one of the study's weaknesses. Um, this data estimates and reinforces the inaccuracy of physical exam without proper uh, imaging such as magnetic resonance and also differences on pathological reports. Um, we might highlight that in North and Northeast Brazilian regions, cervical cancer is the second or even the first most, most common cancer in women. And the trial was conducted in the real world setting where complementary staging methods with the magnetic resonance was not available. Um, and the, regarding the impact on survival, uh, there were more cases with tumor larger than two centimeters in simple hysterectomy arm, however, not statistically uh, significant. And uh, even though if uh, uh, it did not affect survival, uh, I do think that uh, in larger population, the result would be the same. However, it's just uh, a you know, hypothesis. Yeah. So now, Vandre, uh, this question comes from Andrea Rosati. He's he's always very interested in the statistical uh, results of, of studies. And um, he mentions, in this non-inferiority trial, on which parameters was a sample size of 20 patients per arm calibrated? Additionally, in the method section, you state that the non-inferiority margin for the three-year disease-free survival rates was less than 5%. 
However, as a primary endpoint of the study, you found a 5% discrepancy between the two groups. Indeed, the three-year disease-free survival is 95% after simple hysterectomy and 100% after modified radical hysterectomy. Can you comment on these observations? Yeah, yeah, very good question as well. We applied the proof of concept phase two non-inferiority criterion by Nosh Vanda et al. published in Statistics of Medicine on 2011 to design our trial. Using a Bayesian perspective, the experimental procedure named simple hysterectomy would be considered a promising alternative to be tested in a subsequent larger trial if the posterior probability reached at least 50% for assuming the difference between the three-year disease-free survival. Hates was within the non-inferiority margins of 5%. The planned sample size was then 20 cases per arm, which provides 72% chance of satisfying the above criteria under the hypothesis that the lowest three-year disease-free survival rate is in each arm was at least 90%. We are sorry if it's not clear in the manuscript, but the usual and clinical relevant rate of 5% for such non-inferiority trials was considered within the non-inferior margin in the sample size calculation of our study. Moreover, it's important to highlight that only one patient in the entire cohort had cervical cancer relapse. She was in the non-radical hysterectomy arm. The relapse may be resulted from missed detection of LVSI involvement in the former report from pathology, which unfortunately resulted in not offering adjuvant therapy for this case, as stated in this article. Excellent. Um, now, Glauco, a, a point that I, I knew certainly was going to come up in this discussion um, this question from Julie Bonaldo again. Um, some patients underwent minimally invasive surgery. Um, why did you perform MIS on these patients and uh, what kind of hysterectomy should be performed in this setting? Well, Pedro and Julio, um, MIS is still the, the, the elephant inside the room in our field. And uh, in our study, three patients underwent laparoscopic radical hysterectomies, only three. And uh, these procedures were, were done before the like tri publication in just one center where MIS was uh, an alternative to open surgery. All those patients uh, had uh, radical hysterectomies. And uh, all other centers had open surgery approach. Excellent. And, and as a follow up question to that, um, Vandre, uh, this one also from Ryan Khan, he says in the conserved trial, 96% of patients underwent minimally invasive surgery. And the authors concluded that conservative surgery for women with early stage low-risk cervical cancer is safe and feasible. In the lesser trial, 93% of patients underwent open surgery. So his question is, how can physicians interpret these results when counseling patients on a minimally invasive versus an open approach for simple hysterectomy at this time? Yeah, yeah, like said, Pedro, our results reflect the outcomes of simple hysterectomy through an open approach rather than a minimally invasive approach, as was the case in the CONCEPT trial. But our trial has no power to change physician choice counseling patients on a minimally invasive versus open approach for simple hysterectomy. I think we should follow the LAC trial conclusions unless we have new and, new and contrasting data. 
from Rack and Rock Trials. Rack Trial has already recruited 500 cases out of 768 as a target, and the Rock Trial is going on as well. Excellent. Yes, and uh, and I think to, you know certainly also just just to add and highlight the fact that uh, it should be uh, stressed that the conserved trial or the lesser trial, uh, neither one of those trials were looking at comparing open versus minimally invasive. So uh, as you mentioned, uh, you know, the power calculation is very important on that endpoint. Now, uh, Glauco, uh, Teresa Pan from Austria um, asked uh, about your uh, tumor measurement. And she asked, did, did you measure cervical tumors um, uh, after colonization? Uh, and if there was a additional residual, was uh, was that added? What, what was the uh, the approach for tumor measurement? Well, uh, Theresa, um, all cases had clinical evaluation before surgery, and those after colonization did not have clinical residual disease. And uh, it's important to say that colonization was not indicated to address the low risk factors for parameter invasion as uh, studies uh, selection criteria. All patients had a uh, clinical uh, examination before surgery. Excellent. And, and uh, Vandre, um, with regards to, again, to going back to the point of the imaging studies, uh, this uh, question uh, comes from uh, Jivansa Koshavili, and she's asking, uh, noting that MRI was not performed prior to surgery, uh, what imaging modality uh, would you implement in the follow-up and serving uh, of this uh, patient's would you consider recommending MRI or should these patients be followed with PET-CTs? Yeah, yeah. Imagine, imaging examination were performed every six to 12 months or when clinical required, like I said before, for at least three years and once a year thereafter in our protocol. CAT scan was implemented for the follow-up in monitoring in most of cases. Uh, and we have to, to note again that uh, the resource are very limited in our reality. Yeah, and I, and I think, you know, certainly to your point is, uh, and I'm sure it'll depend on the resources available in that location as well. Um, Glauco, now, uh, Teresa also asked uh, about patient counseling, and uh, she says, how did you explain to the patients that you were going to perform a non-standard of care surgery uh, for this type of uh, tumor, and, and perhaps more so drawing on um, what is your counseling uh, with regards to where the data is for, for these patients? Yeah, thanks to pointing this out, Teresa. Um, it's, it's always important to contextualize the study and uh, develop a trust relationship, relationship with the patient. And uh, several retrospective studies uh, had shown low rates of parameter involvement in women with some favorable uh, pathological characteristics, such as tumors up to two centimeters, absence of lymphovascular space invasion, stromal invasion less than 10 millimeters, and the absence of lympho node involvement. So uh, the risk of parametric invasion has been reported to be less than 1% after those risk factors, and uh, it was supported by that in supported uh, less radical surgery for this population. But uh, it's, um, I, I do think that it's very difficult to, to speak to the patients, offer a trial, and uh, it uh, is a sh shared decision to offer and to participate in a clinical trial, but it's so important that we need to share uh, with the patients the importance of any, any clinical trial. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, Bandre, uh, Andrea Rosati asks, uh, although the study was a prospective design, there are some missing histopathological data, such as grading, lipovascular invasion, and stromal invasion. Even the distribution of tumors pathologically more than two centimeters is not uh, homogeneous between the two groups. All of these factors being a part of the set list criteria could have important repercussions on adjuvant therapy options. Could these considerations, in addition to the heterogeneity in adjuvant therapy, have impacted the survival outcomes? Yeah, thanks for the question, Andrea. Unfortunately, we had 10% of missing data for LVSI and 27.5% for stromal invasion, where we are aware that it's one of our study's weaknesses and reflects the non-standardized pathological analysis in our country. The only recurrent case had LVSI not previously reported, like I said before, and it would indicate adjuvant radiation therapy. We believe that central pathological review would have solved this important issue. And it's important to say that standardization of adjuvant treatment is also critical in cervical cancer students. Yeah, no, I, I like to add to that, Vandre. I think that you said it very, very well. Uh, and I think it's important for um, our younger audience and uh, as you interpret uh, results, um, it is not uncommon that in prospective studies, prospective randomized studies, there's not going to be some level of missing data. So it generally ranges from 3% to 7%, sometimes up to 10%, that there's going to be some missing data in some element of that um, data capture. So um, uh, thank you for highlighting that, uh, Vandre. Now, uh, Nuria Agusti from Barcelona, uh, Glauco, she's asking, given the small number of patients from which it is difficult to draw definitive conclusions on oncologic outcomes in this study, how do you think that high rate of adjuvant treatment, 30% in the simple hysterectomy group and 20% in the radical group might have impacted uh, the recurrence rates? Um, may this be relevant? Uh, one can even add, well, why are these low-risk patients having such high rates of adjuvant treatment? Well, uh, thanks for asking, Nuria. Uh, we did not find statistically difference between groups with regards of adjuvant treatment. However, the number of cases receiving adjuvant treatment is higher than expected. Uh, as I said, uh, it might reflect the presence of other prognostic factors in the definitive pathological specimen that indicated uh, adjuvant treatment, although with final low recurrence rates. Excellent. Um, now, Vandre, Julio Bolanlo asks, uh, considering the results of one of the SUCOR studies, uh, the one talking about prior colonization and being associated with lower risk of recurrence um, prior to a radical hysterectomy. Um, did you find any advantage in the patients who underwent uh, prior colonization before hysterectomy? Uh, and I would add to that, would the numbers be high enough to really tell a difference? Yeah, sorry. Like you said, Pedro, the number of patients in our study was small and we did not plan the stratified analysis such this. I think it's interesting to point that the circle cone study addressed the value of colonization before minimally invasive surgery versus open surgery. In the near future, we believe that colonization may help to better select patients with tumor up to 
two centimeters, superficial stomal invasion and absence of LVSI to have less radical surgery. Great. Um, now, Jen Davis Oliveira, is, uh, she's interested in quality of life. Uh, and she asks, can you utilize the data collected by less than half of the study population to draw any meaningful conclusions with regards to the quality of life differences? Did you consider a qualitative research approach to answering this question rather than a questionnaire given the low numbers in the study and interviews would have been better if the majority of the participants uh, found it difficult to, to write in their answers? Well, Jennifer, uh, it's very difficult to draw any meaningful conclusion regarding quality of life differences after collecting less than half of the study population. It was one of the weaknesses of our trial. Uh, we, we did not consider a qualitative research approach to answer this question. Um, it, it's also important to highlight that the study populations uh, was mainly illiterate and uh, had a major difficulty in understanding the quality of life questionnaires. Hmm. It's, uh, it's important to highlight this. Yeah, very, very important. You're absolutely right. And uh, and uh, I'll, I'll continue on that theme of quality of life, uh, Vandre. Um, Anissa Mburu from Kenya, she asked, the, you found no difference in the patient's uh, quality of life between the two groups, but uh, was there any difference in quality of life among the patients who received uh, surgery and then adjuvant treatment? And I would imagine, again, those numbers might be low, but uh, just your thoughts on that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, no. Given the small number of patients, we cannot say that it also reflects these subgroups of patients. Um, now, the uh, the next question uh, I'll 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 stay with you, Vandre. Is um, considering this one from Julie Bonaldo again, and it says considering the young median age of thirty seven years old, do you have any information about differences in sexual quality of life? Uh, between the two groups? Yeah, excellent question as well. But unfortunately, we do not have this information. We are not able to apply additional target questionnaires for the sexual function, such as the e EORTCQLQCX24 that could help to improve the analysis of quality of life after surgery. Instead, we use it just the generic EORTCQLQC30 questionnaire that may not adequately capture some changes in specific domains of relevance for women suffering of cervical cancer. Great. And uh, Glauco, um, just have a few more questions. And this one's from uh, Teresa Pam. Um, now, she's interested in the consideration of neoadjuvant chemotherapy to get patients to tumors less than two centimeters. And I know certainly the study was not about that, but uh, um, she's interested in what, what, do you think there's a space for simple hysterectomy in the future, even if uh, when you get the tumors to uh, less than two centimeters after neoadjuvant uh, treatment? And uh, if yes, uh, what treatment would you choose for these patients? Yeah, there is a, um, personally, uh, personally, I do not believe that neoadjuvant chemo should be performed for less radical approach. There is no data supporting this, and uh, I do think it should be tested in clinical trials. Excellent. Straight and to the point. Excellent. Uh, so <laughs> the last uh, the last question I'll ask uh, Vandre, but also certainly Glauco, if you have any additional comments. 
Um, given the results of conserve, now the lesser trial, um, how do we move forward with our practice at this time um, with regards to what we do and, and how we counsel our patients? Well, uh, our study supports by hypothesis that the paramecium can be spared for a select group of patients with cervical cancer. The trial shows that simple hysterectomy is safe and potentially non inferior to modified radical hysterectomy in early stage cervical cancer, and it may provide perioperative advantage, but it's only preliminary evidence and should not change our clinical practice. For more accurate conclusions, we are looking forward for the SHAPE trial publication. Excellent. And uh, Glauco, do you have any uh, additional uh, comments? Well, uh, I think we are moving forward and to having less radical surgeries uh, for cervical cancer. Um, I do think that the most important study is the SHAPE trial. Um, I think that they will show the, the results this year, maybe in ASCO, I don't know. And um, I think my plan told something about this. And uh, I, I do think that uh, our study, uh, although having a lot of weaknesses, it's an important one that may add uh, valuable data from uh, low in middle income country, Brazil. And uh, it's, it's very interesting because uh, although it has, it has a lot of weaknesses, uh, the result is the same. It's mm -hmm. uh, women that received the simple hysterectomy did the same that the women received a uh, modified radical hysterectomy. And uh, it's very important to highlight that the study did not have any funding. And uh, it's, uh, I would like also to thank the patients and all the researchers and the centers for the, the opportunity to, to, to join them in the study. And thank you so much for this opportunity to highlight and uh, to address some and respond some questions here in the International Journal podcast. Well, thank you both so much, uh, Vandre and uh, Glauco. It's really been a pleasure. Thank you for discussing the, those uh, details and always for accepting our invitation to participate in the in the podcast for, for you, Glauco, and hopefully for Andre uh, Vandre in the in the future. Um, again, uh, congratulations on this work, on completing the work, and uh, congratulations to all of the co-investigators, um, and thank you for sending it to our journal. Thank you, Pedro. Thank you, Pedro, again.